It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric Lee. Good morning, everyone. It is a Wednesday uh, here in Windsor. I'm guessing if you're live streaming this, it's a Wednesday where you're at too. <laughs> but uh, it is, uh, we're in the midst of, it's part 11 of a series that I'm doing called Spiritual Lessons from World War II. And I've been doing it almost the entire semester, haven't I? You know, the, w- the w- one week we, d- we covered a different topic of prayer. And then we've been sort of in World War II ever since, uh, which has actually been invigorating. It's been a very powerful uh, series. I've started to get some feedback from our around uh, the world uh, in regards to people going through the series. Uh, so it's fascinating to see how other people are being impacted by this too. But I think for us here in this room, it's been a significant uh, little time. And just to start out our day with these meditations has been rich. So this one is called The Impossible Maneuver, and I, I, I've sort of struggled knowing how to put this one together because it's based on a kernel of thought, and it's interesting because those of you that are here, present tense, the, uh, the students, uh, we're going to go from this into my, f- my session this morning, and it's called Incorrigibly Cheerful, which is what we could call an impossible maneuver. So it's interesting how these two dovetail, so I've almost like purposely attempted to redirect this one to cover a different angle on it, but it's hard because one of my favorite themes is incorrigibly cheerful. So in World War II, we have a situation of impossibility, and I, I think I've, I've built this up. We've, we've had different sessions which have sort of explored how Germany increased in its war strength uh, in spite of the fact that the Versailles Treaty said it couldn't and how even in its violations of taking the Rhineland, uh, how Germany took Austria, Germany took Sudetenland, Germany took Czechoslovakia, no one did anything. And so as a result, we see this increase of strength, of power, of bravado on the part of the Germans, but then the Germans uh, take Poland, and that was enough. The Allies realized they have to do something. And, but the Allies, it's almost like we could say too late. If you were looking at it in the movie sense, it's just like, things aren't looking good, and everything is going to go bad before it starts to turn in this story of World War II. And uh, so Poland is going to be taken, Norway is going to be taken, Denmark is going to be taken, and suddenly uh, Great Britain and France are in a very dubious position. Holland and Belgium are sitting there in between all of it, and I can't imagine what it would have been like to be them, but they're just like pleading for peace. It's like, hey, we're neutral, we don't want to fight, and Germany explodes on May 10th, 1940, and takes Belgium, takes Holland, and sweeps into France. And we have crisis, because France begins to fall like a house of cards. And the mighty French nation, which is oftentimes noted throughout history of having the most powerful military uh, in the world, is going to crumble in about a month. And so, and it, it doesn't take long. I mean, it's actually just a few days. The rest of the month is them just hiding out and, you know, throwing out uh, bombs and just hoping the Germans will go away. But nothing's changing. It's getting worse and worse and darker and darker. And we have the miracle of Dunkirk, a great story, which we haven't really gone into in any great degree, but I still have one message I have in my hip pocket 
uh, called the Dunkirk Rear Guard. I, I, I almost gave that today, but I'm, I'm saving it. We d we'll see. Could you imagine? I go through the whole series, and it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You never gave that. So who knows? I, I might just falsely bait you and then not give it, but I'm, I'm still intending to. Uh, <coughs> but it's a dark time because now on the, if you look across the English Channel, you see a whole bunch of German all the way up to Norway. Norway to Denmark, Denmark to Holland, Holland to Belgium, Belgium to France. And it's staring across the channel at Great Britain. And Great Britain is not in a position to defend itself with any great vigor yet. Remember, they've disarmed. They, they had radical disarmament over the last six years, and it's only been in the last year that they've started producing arms and said, we need to do something here. And so they're in a very, very bad situation. This is right when Winston Churchill is coming into the leadership position. So, I mean, what a place to inherit. What a time to take the lead. It's the time of the man. And that's that we gave that message on Sunday, which is, was deeply stirring to me. But what I want to focus on today is how a Christian thinks when all goes dark. When everything looks sour, how does a Christian handle those moments because actually if you want to say it there is a very clear understanding that God is going to give us in scripture of how to handle difficulty and we can call it the doctrine of difficulty right it's typically called the doctrine of suffering but the doctrine of suffering is a little you know it has some different nuance to it this is going to be all right you're facing a challenge there is a way that you are supposed to respond to it most people in a challenge go into fear and anxiety and what we could call the fetal position, okay? Uh, I think I discussed the fetal position, but I'm not sure because over the weekend I was at a men's conference and I talked about the fetal position. I said that was one of their options, okay? When difficulty comes, they can get into the fetal position. Most men don't like the thought of that. They're like, hey, I don't know. But that's what most men do even. Ironically, they're not made for it, but they do it, which is paralysis. It's the position a little infant is in the womb. And that's why it's called the fetal position. And it's like to curl up in a ball and just hope that everything goes away. Like pull the covers up over your head and maybe the boogeyman will disappear, right? And that's a mentality that we have as humans and we're vulnerable to it. The same way we suck on a binky when we're little, we have a tendency to suck on our thumb and pull the covers up over us and go into the fetal position and just hope that everything changes. That's not what we were designed to do. And that's what I want to poke at in all of you. Now, then, there's another option which we have a tendency to applaud, and that is to rise up and show a bravado. It's like, oh, and to, to say, I'm not going down, and to show almost a hostility or what you call a hatred. And so to hate your enemy, and your hatred is what motivates you. And sometimes it's fear mixed with hatred. Bless you. And you know, God actually gives us a different idea a different pattern. It's a pattern of heaven. And so I want to take that pattern and bring it down because we're going to see it in World War II here. We're going to see it when Great Britain is backed up. We're going to see Great Britain turn the situation in such a profound way. Now, it's going to take a while, just like it can in our lives too, where we're, we're, we have a challenge in our life. It doesn't mean that just the day we choose to change our attitude towards it, everything changes. Everything's different. Changes inside of us first. And that's what's going to happen in Great Britain. Something is going to change inside of them, their outlook, their perspective. Instead of them being the victim, they're going to turn around and say, wait a minute, 
Let's be the victor in our mentality. As Christians, we do a similar thing. Now, we're not a nation, right? We're, we sort of are, and we're a body. But we flip things from being a victim to recognize that we serve the victor, we're clothed in the victor, and the victor lives in us. And greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. It's a change of mindset. So let's go through that. The impossible maneuver. Every creek, every beach, every harbor. So there was a source of anxiety uh, amongst the British people, and that is they were studying their landscape and recognizing this is a spot the Germans could access it. This is a, a spot the Germans could access us. This is a spot. So it's basically every creek, every beach, every harbor, every inlet spot, every point of attack became a stress point. And so it was like, we need to... But this is an island nation. Could you imagine what it would be like to secure an island nation? As Winston Churchill is going to say, basically the only solution for us is to build walls around our entire nation and then put a dome over the top. If we really are going to live this way, that's the only way we can function. Guys, we're going to have to change our mentality towards this. And it's the same with us as Christians. It's like, ultimately the only solution is, I think I'm going to need to somehow build a, uh, a diamond bubble for myself and just stay in it. Because there's so much sin in this world, there's so much harm in this world, there's so much meanness in this world, and I need to escape it all. Or we could turn it on its head and say, or I could change it. Or I could take the offensive position and change it. Instead of concerning myself with, oh no, the world is after me. What if we actually turn it and say, but I've been given the grace of God. I've been given the Holy Spirit. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. So here's Winston Churchill. This is a private note written to uh, the general of their armed forces, General Ismay. We are greatly concerned, and it is certainly wise to be so, with the dangers of the Germans landing in England in spite of our possessing the command of the seas and having very strong defense by fighters in the air. Every creek, every beach, every harbor has become to us a source of anxiety. Besides this, the parachutists may sweep over and take Liverpool or Ireland, and so forth. So this is how he starts out his letter. I'm going to read more of the letter in just a second because this isn't Winston Churchill's final conclusion. He's like, yep, you know, hey, look, I guess we're just going to have to give way to anxiety here. He's starting with a premise that every uh, man and woman from Great Britain would understand. In our life, we have, we have creeks, beaches, and harbors as well. And many of us live with anxiety. We live with fear over what the enemy might do. And some of us, it's even, or what God may call me to do. It's sort of a funny twist on it. It's like, don't you trust God? However, we have creeks, beaches, and harbors, too, or access points. We do. So just like if you were in a house, it's like a, a window, a robber could get in that. And so you could be, a, a door. Someone bad could come in through that. And you could look at every one of them and be stressed out over the, what the enemy might do to overtake your life. Or you could flip that mentality and begin to think like a Christian, okay? A Christian isn't suffocated with fear and anxiety. So the lie is fear and anxiety are the best defenses. Now, I don't know why we buy this, okay? Have you ever uh, heard that, uh, you know, anxiety cannot add one cubit to your, to your life or to your height? And th I was just listening to that this morning with the kids. It doesn't add one cubit. And so if you want to grow stronger, you're not going to do it by fear and anxiety. Fear and anxiety is some weird false replacement for real heavenly work. We think we're working when we're fearful. 
It's a weird con job by the enemy. In other words, if I fear over every creek, beach, and harbor, then somehow that means I'm more secure. Actually, you are more paralyzed when you do that. Fear is not the antidote for the evil around us. Anxiety is actually an avenue of entry. It's like a door that opens. When we're anxious, the enemy goes, thank you. It's like unlocking something instead of locking it. And so in actuality, God is going to go out of his way to say, don't do that. No, no, don't open that door to the enemy. We're like, no, I'm closing it. That's why I'm so anxious. I'm like on guard. No, you're in the fetal position right now. You see, fear and anxiety are your enemy. Do not listen to them. It is a tactic of the enemy to con you into thinking that anxiety does anything. We think we're working when we're anxious. It's, it is work, by the way, but it is harmful work. It like erodes our foundation. It's like building a, a little house on the sand and then taking a shovel and shoveling out from under the sides of the, uh, the house and then wind comes up and it just begins to sink. It's actually undermining what God is desiring to do in your life. It's a lie. Fear and anxiety are not the best defenses. So, remember, uh, I, I read the first paragraph of Winston Churchill's letter. This is a private letter to General Ismay. And he's talking about, oh, we're anxious. The parachutists could come in. You know, what about every creek, every beach, every harbor? Oh, no. He says, all this mood is very good if it engenders energy. But if it is so easy, this is an amazing thought, guys. Now, I don't, uh, hopefully it'll stand out to you the way it has stood out to me. But if it is so easy for the Germans to invade us in spite of sea power, some may feel inclined to ask the question, why should it be thought impossible for us to do anything of the same kind to them? The, the completely defensive habit of mind, which has ruined the French, must not be allowed to ruin all our initiative. It is of the highest consequence to keep the largest numbers of German forces all along the coasts of the countries they have conquered, and we should immediately set to work to organize raiding forces on these coasts where the populations are friendly. Such forces might be composed of self-contained, thoroughly equipped units of, say, 1,000 up, up to not more than 10,000 when combined. Surprise would be ensured by the fact that the destination would be concealed until the last moment. What we have seen at Dunkirk shows how quickly troops can be moved off and, I suppose, on to selected points if need be. How, how wonderful it would be if the Germans could be made to wonder where they were going to be struck next instead of forcing us to try to wall in the island and roof it over. An effort must be made to shake off the mental and moral prostration to the will and initiative of the enemy from which we suffer. I'm going to read that last line because... That's a line for us as Christians. I know that Winston Churchill is talking about Germany, Nazi Germany, and there is a will of an enemy that's saying, fear us. Fear us. You have good reason to fear. An effort must be made to shake off the mental and moral prostration to the will and initiative of the enemy from which we suffer. It's a prostration. You guys know what prostration is? That means to get on your face and bow. And so the enemy is coming in to exert itself and basically say, bow. And so what Winston Churchill is saying is, there must be an effort made in this country to shake off this mentality. We are not subservient to this enemy. If the enemy can take every one of our creeks, beaches, and harbors, and that becomes a source of stress for us, maybe it should be a source of stress for him. Maybe we should go after his creeks, beaches and harbors. How about it, guys? 
General Ismay reads this and says, that's exactly what we need to do. And so here we have this <laughs> weakened foe. Great Britain isn't looking too strong at this exact moment, right? And you have this lion called Winston Churchill. It's going to rise up inside and say, let's attack them. Who in their right mind would attack in such a situation? And yet what you're going to see is the mindset of heaven is exactly this. D don't, don't be the victim. Don't lay prostrate to the will of the enemy. Hit them. This is our time to hit. God doesn't mind weakness. If you've noticed it in scripture, it's out of weakness that his strength is made perfect. It's out of weakness that he showcases his power. Read the New Testament. You'll see it. In fact, if you want to read the Old Testament, you'll see it demonstrated. Over and over and over again, God will take something that's weak and bring down something that's strong. Over and over again. So what you see is Winston Churchill rising up with this thought. We need to shake off this mentality. This will kill us. It just killed the French. The French would not attack. They would only be defensive. And what did it lead to? It led to their end. We cannot just be defensive. We need to be offensive. And it's the same with us as Christians. We live in a world that is surrounding us with ideology of darkness. And it would seem that it is quenching the very truth of Jesus Christ in this age and generation. Do we just play defensive and hole up? Or do we actually take it to the enemy? Do we actually do the work of the king? In the darkest hour, God goes on the offensive. I, I love this. This is great meditation right here. Think of Gideon. Okay, now, in, in Gideon's day, we have the Midianites who are just an evil bunch of Nazis, okay? That's exactly what they are. And they are coming in, and the, the Jewish people will actually, uh, the Hebrew people will create, you know, they'll grow their crops, and then the Midianites will come in and attack right then and steal all of their hard work. And they have them under the thumb of slavery, basically. It's looking really bad. For, and they have no weapons. So they've stripped them of all weapons, all metal workers, so they can't even, you know, make anything. And there's Gideon, sort of in almost like a moral prostration, you know, before all this. And God's going to come to him and say, I want you to rise up and take him on. It is the most preposterous story. Now, we just grow up with it on a flannel board, uh, you know, in Sunday school growing up, and so we take it for granted sometimes. It is totally ridiculous. So there's this massive army out there. Gideon is going to recruit 30,000 men that are willing to fight, and that's still, I don't know what it was, like one-tenth of what they had in the Midianites. It was like pathetic, right? And then God's going to say, no, no, we need to be weaker. He's going to get it down. I mean, ultimately it gets down to 300. Okay, 300 against a multitude. This is, God, what are you thinking? And guess who wins? Yeah, God does. God doesn't mind odds that look bad because who gets the credit when the odds look bad? If, if, if Gideon only has 300 and he's going to defeat someone in the, you know, a couple hundred thousand range, who's going to get the credit? God will. Man won't. God even goes out of his way in the story of Gideon to say that. Say, lest you think it was you, let's go down to 300. So Great Britain has been brought low. It is weak. And so guess what Great Britain's going to recognize? Thank you, God. <laughs> there is no way we could have done this. Think of David. 
the Israelites are backed up into a corner. They're in a very, very bad situation in the Valley of Elah. Saul, who technically was their giant. I don't know if you've ever thought about Saul as being a giant. But Saul was head and shoulders above all of Israel in his height. He was a massive man. And so we have giant against giant. Goliath comes down and calls out their giant. Who should be fighting? Saul. And yet Saul is paralyzed with fear. He's in the fetal position. This you know, champion of Gath has them under their thumb. So it's like someone is coming into the camp, guys, and he's going to say, we need to shake off this ridiculousness. Is there not a cause? Who's going to stand up against this guy? This kid comes into town. God is going to use weakness, but weakness that is as bold as a lion. And he is going to thumb his nose at the champion of Gath. It's better than that, too. I, I think before the end of this semester, I get to do a message on that exact story. So I don't want to spoil any of the thunder in that one because it's good. Think of Jesus. When you look at the cross, you're going to, some of us are just going to easily see the lens of triumph. It's like, look, he's crushing the head of the serpent. However, in natural man view, what are we seeing? We're seeing weakness. This man is silent as a lamb under slaughter. He is covered in blood. His body would have been a pulp, uh, just like flesh, just torn up. His you know, crown of thorns on his head, so his face would have been covered in blood. His body would have been bloody. He does not look like a champion. We'll just say it that way. He looks weak. He is despised and rejected of men, a worm and no man. And yet, you have the greatest flip in all of history of the power of the devil coming against this one man and God defeating him in his weakness. Out of weakness, God proved his strength. And so I want you to recognize that though you are weaker than the enemy, in natural man capacity, what you have in your own pockets, you are weaker. Your shepherd is stronger and has defeated that wolf pack that is surrounding you. So though you are a sheep surrounded by a wolf pack on the other side of the English Channel, it is staring down and breathing heavily across the English Channel, you have a shepherd that if you will stand in the shadow of that shepherd, and I've always said the greatest secret for a sheep is to find his home right there on the ankle of the shepherd. Just, just come up there, right there. Just hang out right there. The enemy can't touch you. Now when the shepherd moves towards that enemy, you move with him. And you know what he's going to tell you? He's going to tell you to bah at him. And you're going to say, he doesn't listen to my bah. He will if you're in my shadow and if you do it in my name. And so we bah in the name of our shepherd. And that wolf pack has to retreat. We are sheep. We are weak. And God knows it. God is not afraid of our weakness. God knows that we're weaker However, he has chosen that weakness through which to demonstrate his power and his strength. So when you catch that, you will not fear your weakness. When you recognize that he is okay with the fact that we are weaker than that which stands against us. Even when you are standing strong in the truth of Jesus Christ, you are still a frail human when you will stand before some of the great challenges of life that will face you. And you could be believing, you could be standing strong on the word of God, but your knees will be like, whoa, God, this is intense. In those moments, you rest in the shadow of the shepherd and you will find everything you need for what we could call the impossible maneuver. 
Every other human would fail in that moment, but not you. There is something that you have that is able to lift you through those circumstances. Tharseo. It's a really cool word in the Greek. So typically it's going to translate, be of good courage, be of good cheer. And it, it's, a, it's an interesting statement because sometimes it'll come in at the most odd times where God is going to say, no, be of good cheer. Why would I be of good cheer? The enemy is lined up on the other side of the English Channel. Be of good cheer. And I think that's why it's important to recognize that be of good courage is probably a more accurate statement, even though I really like the blend of the two. It's, it's the concept is smile. Don't faint right now. We've got them right where we want them. It's one of those great military lines where, okay, the Germans are lining up on the other side of the English Channel and we're weak. And it's like Winston Churchill looking at his people and going, guys, it looks like they're falling into our hands. We've got them right where we want them. And he says it with a wry smile. He is being of good courage. He is being of good cheer. He has the wry humor of heaven. And that's what we need. We need to recognize that no matter how dark it gets, God's got him right where he wants him. In other words, it, it, just like in Hezekiah's day, and you had the Assyrian Empire, who had not lost a battle in 100 years, 185,000 of them surrounding the walls of Jerusalem. And it's like God says, we've got him right where we want him. You see, God is in control. The question is, do you know that? Do you understand the power of your God? And yes, it's an impossible maneuver to attack in that point in time. When you are wanting to go into your uh, fetal position, it is a strange time to go on the attack. So here's Jesus. This is a few examples. He says this all the time. Tharseo. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Tharseo. It is I, do not be afraid. It's this, be of good cheer, be of good courage. It's this idea that it's something that we as humans ought to do. It's not something that, you know, it's like sit down in the chair. Little did you know that just like sitting down in a chair, you could actually take courage. It's there for you. So grab it. There is courage for you in the heavenly war chest. Take it, use it right now. Mark 6, 50, they all saw him and were troubled, but immediately he talked with them and said to them, be of good cheer, Tharseo, it is I, do not be afraid. John 16, 33, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, Tharseo, I have overcome the world. So, yes, Great Britain, it looks like Germany has the upper hand, but Tharseo, for I have overcome the Nazis. It's, it's the same concept. In other words, it's like saying to the sheep, yes, I recognize that you're surrounded by a wolf pack and they're breathing uh, hard down your woolly neck, but Tharseo, you have a shepherd and you're standing in his shadow. Greater is he that is on your side, O little sheepy, than that which is breathing hard down your neck. If you know that, how does it change your behavior? If you know that greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. Like you know it. I don't just mean you, you understand the scripture reference. You know it to be true. How does that change the behavior of a sheep? How does that sheep change from rolling over and playing dead to rising up and batting in the name of Jesus at that wolf pack? With fearlessness. 
So look at what Jesus is going to say to Paul in the book of Acts. So this is the booming, uh, well, booming voice. I don't know that it was booming. Actually, it doesn't say anything about that. It just says the Lord spoke to Paul. Be of good cheer, Paul. Tharseo. Now, Paul is running for his life. He has, what, all these different men that have uh, covenanted together to not eat until they kill him. Okay, he's been supernaturally released uh, from uh, confinement in Jerusalem. He's running for his life, and God goes out of his way to say, Tharseo, take up your courage. Take up your cheer. That wry smile, that twinkle of eye, you know, that says we've got him right where we want him. Grab a hold of that right now, that, that humor of heaven, that laughter of heaven that only a Christian can possess. Grab it right now. Smile. As, I don't know if I said this, but the Australians are oftentimes considered the most uh, courageous soldiers in World War I. And I don't know about World War II. I never studied what they said about who was the most courageous in World War II. But it's because when they were in the darkest, most formidable moments, they would laugh the loudest. Now, whether or not that was because they were Christians, there's only 2% Australian uh, that were Christians uh, back then even. So the likelihood is it's not. It's just that that's sort of the, the tensile of that people is that they get into hard moments and they begin to laugh. They begin to joke. It's called gallows humor, where you, you begin to joke about the fact that you're about to die. And that's a medication for many souls. But it's interesting that the Australians got into this position in uh, the Gallipoli campaign. It was a naval campaign uh, in World War I. It was a very dire, terrible situation where they got the wrong place that they were supposed to get off, and they got off into this little harbor, but it was underneath these cliffs. So all the enemy was standing up there, and they were like, uh, what do you call it, fish in a bucket? Uh, and, I mean, they were just being taken out. But the whole while, the Australians were like, hey, guys, we got them right where we want them. They're laughing, and they're, they're fighting to the death. But, I mean, could you imagine? How do you handle those moments in your life where it looks like you're surrounded? Are you of good cheer? Are you going to take your courage in that exact moment? God's given it to us. Everything we need to bat at the enemy and the authority of Christ's name is there. Be of good cheer, Paul. Be of good cheer, Christian. So, uh, Tharseo is going to come from two words, mainly tharsos, which is courage, but thrasos means daring. Isn't that interesting? So this is like what you see the God of the universe actually telling us to do when fear would normally come upon us. Yeah, fear and anxiety would be normal for a human right now, but fear not, it is me, God says. Over and over again, Jesus is going to say that. It is I. So you don't need to, you know, so tharseo, Grab your courage, guys, because I'm here. You see, if you knew that God was there, then wouldn't you tharseo? Wouldn't you grab your courage? Wouldn't you have that daring twinkle in your eye? It's like, let's do this thing. God is with us. Could you imagine if you were in an impossible situation, but then Jesus, you know, you're in the dark, and the enemy's outside, and it's surrounded, and, you know, panic is wanting to take over your life, and there's people around you going, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And you're the leader. You're going, great. How did I get into this position? You want to complain. You want to grumble. You want to be anxious and fearful. But then you hear this, Psst, hey, I'm here with you. Hey, you, you're, you mean you're here? Like, God, you're actually here with us? Like, in this dark place? Yeah. So we've got him, don't we? He says, Tharseo, 
take up your courage. I'm here. If you knew he was there, would you fear? I mean, imagine we were surrounded and they're like, hey, we're going to kill you. And then Jesus is in here going, hey, but guys, I'm here with you. We're like, oh, well, Jesus is in here with us. We have the chief shepherd with us. We have the king of kings and lord of lords who has trounced the enemy under his feet. All things are beneath his feet. Yeah. Why would we fear? And that's exactly the logic of Scripture. Why would you fear if God is with you, if God is for you? So the heavenly laugh, the smirk at danger. How do you handle your difficulties? Do you smirk at them? The love of adventure. Oh, this will be fun. Is that how you handle your difficulties and your challenges? Oh, this will be fun. It'll be fun to see how God's going to do this one. Oh, oh, this is going to be good. The eye twinkle of confidence, where someone looks at you and goes, aren't you in an impossible situation right now? And you look back and go, yeah, I know, isn't it great? Who does that? Well, there is a lion that desires to roar in you, to change you from being the timid one to being the one who represents the kingdom of heaven on this earth. So Psalm 2, 1 through 4, when you look at the summary of this psalm, like what its theme is historically, it's the Messiah's triumphant kingdom. So remember, this is a thousand years before Jesus, right? And you're going to have this picture of what everyone knows. This is a messianic, every Jew knows this is a messianic psalm, right? And so when you read it, understand this is talking about Jesus because he's the anointed one, the Christos. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. So it's interesting. There should be a quotation mark after us. I'm not sure why it's not there. You need to make sure you put that in your brain because it is a separate quote here. We have the Nazis on the other side of the English Channel and they are surrounding. And what's Great Britain going to say? Well, what's Jesus going to say in a similar situation where the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together? What are they saying? Let's take down this anointed one. Let's take down this Christ, this truth, this reality of the gospel. Let's take it down. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. Tharseo, take up your courage, O anointed one. And of course, you don't need to tell Jesus to take up his courage, right? He just has it. We're the ones that need to take up his courage. The Lord shall hold them in derision. I'm not sure if that's how you're handling your difficulties, but you're in Christ, the one who does that. Listen to C.T. Studd's logic on that. If God, who sits in the heavens, can laugh, his children on earth should be loyal enough to do the same. That's what we should be doing. We should be loyal enough to do as our Father is doing, to do as our Christ is doing. In difficulty, he laughs. Do we? You see, the secret to going through any challenge is you need to stare at the face of your Father in the midst of it. The way that we're supposed to be designed, when men are built as men ought to be, then they in the midst of trials for their family, they say bombs are dropping in Windsor, Colorado, that my kids would look at my face to see if there's real danger. And what if their father's face looks back at them and says, no, God, God's in control. Don't worry, guys. God will take care of us. God will protect us. He knows we're here, okay? He's our shepherd. You see, when a father 
is calm, it gives calmness to the kids. If a father panics, oh no, oh no, they're gonna kill us. What do you think's gonna happen to the kids? Okay, they immediately lose that strength because their father's face is gone to sheer terror. And so as a result, so does theirs. But if you, as, a, as the father, you have confidence and calm, it's like, well, da- but, but daddy, what, what are those noises, those big blasts? Oh, I don't know. Uh, you know it's, it, but it's no concern of us. It's just you know, people fighting out there. But, uh, but God has us right where he wants us. and We're safe in his embrace. Let's just sleep soundly tonight. I mean, who can sleep soundly in something like that? It does not mean a father doesn't take precautions. Hey, guys, we're going to sleep soundly in the basement tonight. It just means the face is very, very important. When we are in a trial, where do we look? To the face of our father, to the face of the anointed one. We look up to the throne room of grace, and what do we see? They're laughing. They're smiling. They're confident. So the daring believer, I love this, to laugh in the midst of danger, to have hope in the midst of total darkness, to leap for joy when falsely accused. It's actually a command in scripture, by the way. Leap for joy. When you're falsely accused, leap for joy. Who does that? To rejoice in tribulation, to love those that hate you, to forgive those that harm you, to dare to go upstream when all the water is rushing downward. We're doing something different than the rest of the world around us. And the rest of the world can't even fathom, but we are behaving as Christ. And that is our chief weapon. You see, when we love in a world of hate, it literally is like a nuclear bomb against the enemy. The enemy has no defenses against these things, guys. He has no defense against your laugh in the midst of danger, against your hope in the midst of total darkness, against your leap for joy when you're falsely accused, against your rejoicing in tribulation, against your love when, those are the, when you're being hated, against your forgiveness when, those that are, when the people are harming you. And when you're going upstream, he can't stop you. You're carving right into his agenda when you respond as God would respond in this body. You have the rare opportunity to pull off the impossible maneuver. You can't model yourself around the fear and anxiety around you. That's normal human. But you're not normal human. You're a Christian. Bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus so that you can actually behave, think, live, act differently than everyone around you. So the impossible maneuver when Great Britain is surrounded and we have the Germans on the other side of the English Channel, which, by the way, that's not very far across because, uh, what, humans have been able to swim across the English Channel. So we're not talking very far, right? I don't know what it is. Is it 20 miles or something like that? Someone know the, the distance? No one knows? Okay. It's close. It's not very far. And obviously, if someone's been able to swim across it, that's, that's saying a lot. The impossible maneuver. Is it really impossible is it really impossible for the for great britain to rise up and attack in this moment because great britain is going to shock this enemy by not cowing by not fearing it's going to throw hitler off hitler isn't expecting laughter from the british people he's not expecting you know humor coming out of the bomb shelters 
He's not expecting them to fight back. He's expecting them to retreat and surrender, just as the French did. He's going to run into a buzzsaw because Great Britain is going to respond and do an impossible maneuver. The same thing that we are supposed to do in our life. Is it really impossible? Well, think about what Jesus says, Mark 10, 27. With man, yeah, it is impossible. But not with God. For all things are possible with God. What you are called to do is impossible. But it's actually not impossible for you if you are in Christ and Christ is in you. So therefore, as the body of Christ, our job is to do impossible things. What would those impossible things be? Well, let's look at our list. Laugh in the midst of danger. So I don't know what crisis you may be facing in your life, what challenge you may be facing, okay? If we were to collect a big list of challenges, even in this size of a, a group, we have a big list of things. I mean, I always have my impossible prayers that our family is praying. So we have these impossible prayers. It's like, yep, but we're fighting for that. Yep, and that might seem impossible, but we're going to laugh at it. This is how I live. This is how I've been living for a long time now. And I have seen extraordinary things happen as I laugh and snicker at impossibilities. I should have called this a message snickers. That would have been good. Uh, it might not have fit in with World War II as well. But that's what you do. You snicker at the enemy. It's like, does he actually think that's going to stop God? Are you serious? Don't you know who I serve? Don't you recognize that his agenda in this earth will not be foiled and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father? Don't you know that the one enthroned in heaven laughs? So, since I'm dutifully staring at his face right now and I see him laughing, I'm going to join in chorus with him and do a little laughter harmony line with him. This is what we do. It is impossible with man to have hope in the midst of total darkness, to leap for joy when falsely accused, to rejoice in tribulation, to love those that hate you, to forgive those that harm you. You see, this is not the way normal humans work, which is why for many of you, you're like, I, I can't do that. You're right. He can in you, through you. If your position is in Christ, take courage. Tharseo. Grab a hold of what you have in Jesus and dare to go upstream. Dare to attack across the English Channel even though your enemy looks daunting and massive. Well, that's what every great movie's made of, too, if you want to say it that way. It's when little guys defy. That's like the great storyline where the guy, you, you watch the very beginning of the movie, and it's like, oh, all is going bad. And then one guy, you, know, you start the Rocky training music, right? And the guy starts, you know, getting in shape spiritually, and he st finally figures, like, I'm going to defy that. And then in the end, he wins, and it's an, it's an impossible thing, and that's why we make a movie on it, right? This is actual real life for us. We're not living it for a camera. We're living it for the glory of Jesus Christ. But this is what we do. Father, There is a need in each one of us to tharseo, to grab our courage, to grab the heavenly laughter, to grab the heavenly joy, to grab the heavenly peace, to grab the heavenly daring, 
to grab the heavenly boldness. Lord, we cannot look to our own pockets to pull this off. We must look to what's in your pockets or what's in your throne room of grace, what's in your vault. You have given us everything that we need for life and godliness, everything that we need to tear down enemy strongholds. We have the weapons, Lord Jesus. I pray that we would be bold and daring and courageous to use them. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we ask this. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellersley.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.